Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let's go to John chapter 3. You remember last week we began a series on the greatest love. Looking at the greatest love, God's love, from the greatest verse, John 3, 16, from the greatest book, the Bible. We talked about the fact that last week people are looking for love. In fact, I propose that one of the greatest human needs, apart from food and water, is really the need to be loved. And we're all looking for that love. And the problem is that we can look for love in all of the wrong places. That is the greatest love. There's nothing wrong with earthly love and other things. But what we're doing is unpacking John 3.16 and looking at this incredible love that God has for us. And last week we discovered, first of all, the unchangeableness of the greatest love. The unchangeableness of the greatest love. He says four. And it reminds us that it's connected to the verse before where God shares, or Jesus shares the story of God bringing the bronze serpent to deliver his people from the fiery serpents that were killing them. And he did it because he loved them. And so Jesus Christ has come because God loves us. Some people say the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. The God of the New Testament is a God of love. Nothing could be further from the truth. 1 John 4, 16 reminds us that God is what? Love. Second of all, we learn the source of this love is God. Notice it says, for God is the one that loved us. The source of the greatest love is God. It's not relationships, it's not in sex, it's not in things and all the other uh, things that we could pop in there that we're looking for love. The source of this greatest love is God. And then we saw, third of all, the intensity of this greatest love. He says, for God so loved the world. So loved the world. And laser in on that word so because it speaks of the intensity of this love. God intensely and fiercely loves us. And then we saw, fourth of all, the nature of this love, that he loved us. And it's the word agape. And we discovered three things about this word agape. One, that God prizes us, God values us, and God delights in us. This kind of love is a love that prizes that for which it shows its love, it values that for which it loves, and it delights in that which it's love. And this is a kind of love that God has for us. But this morning, I want us to move on now, and fifth of all, and look at the immensity, the immensity of God's love. The earth is 196,900 square miles. Now try to picture that in your mind. I mean, it absolutely blows your mind to think how large it is. But the sun, if you took our sun, you could fit 1.3 million of our earths into that sun. Can you imagine the size of the sun, how immense it really is? But it is not the largest. There's another megastar called Ui Scutia. It has a radius of 1,700 times larger than the sun. You could fit inside of that sun 3.6 billion of our suns. 
Think about the size of that. If an object could travel at the speed of light around UY Scutia, it would take it seven hours just to get around that immense planet. And when you think about how large that is, you can't even wrap your mind around it. But I want you to know this morning, my friends, there is something more immense, and it is the love of God. For God so loved the world, the world. Now think about that for a moment. It's estimated that over 100 billion people have lived or are, are living on the planet now. And if that continues, we continue on, that number is only going to increase. And God so loved every single one of them. Now what makes this so immense is I, I can't even imagine. I, for me, it's hard to love one person. It, my wife is the love of my life. And, and so it takes everything I've got, and, and still I don't do it very well. Ask her for yesterday how it went hanging in pictures around our house. But, but my responsibility is to love her. And so I do my best to love her. I love my son Caleb and Casey and Connor and Allie and my grandchildren. I, I love them. And, and we'll say something like, I love every person. I love everybody. You've heard of people say that? Well, you can't say that because you can't love every single person equally with the same intensity. You just can't do it. But this is what our God does. God equally intensely loves every single person. But then take that and go, not only that are living now, but of who have ever existed. This is the intensity of this love, this immensity of this love that God has for us because God is immense. Grudem said it this way, while it seems necessary for us to say that God's whole being is present in every part of space or at every point in space, it is also necessary to say that God cannot be contained by any space no matter how large it is. Solomon, when dedicating the temple, said this, jotted down 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. 1 Kings 8, 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much this house, this temple that I've built. So when you consider the immensity of God, it, it makes it even more overwhelming that this immense God loves us. Nobody pinned it better for us than David. You know, before David was a king, he was a what? He was a shepherd. And what do shepherds do? They take care of sheep. And where do they take care of sheep? In the fields. And so he would be in the fields in the light of day and in the dark of night. And remember, they didn't have the city lights that would light up the sky and, and keep you from seeing. So he's sitting there looking into this star-struck sky, and he wrote Psalm 8, verse 1. And he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to the still, the enemy, and the avenger. Now listen to verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Think of that immense star that we spoke of, Y U I Scutia. 
that, that God made all of these things. What, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? This immense God who cannot be contained in our spatial dimension so loved the world. Not God so loved the good people. Not God so loved the righteous people. Not God so loved the Jews. Not so loved those that loved him back. Not so loved the people that were in church. God loved the world. And John 1, look over if you would, just a few verses back, tells us what this world is like. Verse 9, let's start there. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not what? Know him. Didn't acknowledge him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. God so loved the world, the cosmos, the cosmos, the world that rejected him, that rebelled against him, that, so to speak, gave him the finger and said, go your own way, God, we don't need you. That's the world that God so loved. Uh, Romans chapter 5 says it this way, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were the best kind of people, he died for us. Is that what it says? Even while we were what? Sinners. At our worst. Not when we are at our best. Not when we dressed up and showed off and drew attention to ourselves. God loved us when we were sinners. When he knew everything about us. This overwhelming and incomprehensible love of God is so immense. Someone wrote these words. Could we with ink the ocean fill and we're the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quiver and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of god above would drain the oceans dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky so immense is this love of god for us for god so loved the world but then look at this the choice of the greatest love Man, we could spend time on every single one of these words. The choice of this greatest love, and it's the word that. That's powerful because it tells us that God so loved the world that he made a choice. He made a choice to love us. Take your Bibles and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 because this is really the first time we will see this idea of God choosing to love us. And he says it of Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Because you can imagine Israel coming out of Egypt. They've seen the miracles of God at the, with the signs that he did in Egypt to deliver them. They've seen the waters parting. They've seen the waters coming out of the rock they've seen the manna arrive they've seen the quail come supernaturally they've seen the pillar of fire they've seen the cloud by day they've seen all of these things and you know like it or not we all would probably kind of be putting our chest out and say man we must be pretty special here you know look at us look at us. look what god i mean we have to be a pretty awesome group of people he hadn't done that for anybody else look at us 
And, and it, they kind of puffed their chest out a little bit. And so uh, they're reminded, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord, look at this, set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In other words, God says, okay, while you're puffing your chest out, let me take a little pin and blow your chest right up. Bust your balloon. I didn't choose you because you were better. I didn't choose you because you were stronger. I didn't choose you because of anything that you've done. I chose to love you, period. Period. Now, Paul takes that over in Ephesians. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1 and takes this concept over to the New Testament. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Ladies and gentlemen, what do we need to take away from this? Please don't get hung up on the predestination and election thing. Sometimes we got to just live with the fact that there are paradoxes in Scripture that we are not going to understand. But the reality is that God chose, predestined to love us. Listen to this. God was not coerced. God was not forced. God was not guilted into loving us. He chose to love us. Now, I want to pose a question to you this morning. I want you to think about it. If, if we could somehow or another do this, is the love of a father for a natural born son or the love of a father for an adopted son greater? I never really thought about that until I talked to somebody that was adopted. And he said to me, and I, I never really thought about it, he said, you know, it's natural for a father to love his flesh and blood, right? But when you adopt someone, you choose to love them, knowing all the problems, the imperfections, and the issues that come with them. God chose to love us. But then the sacrifice of the greatest love, he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. God didn't simply say he loved us. He demonstrated it. A volunteer told of, of a lovely little girl in the hospital. Her name was Liz, but she was suffering from a rare life-threatening disease, and her only chance was to get a blood transfusion from her little brother who had had the same disease but had lived through it and developed the antibodies. The doctor went to the little brother and explained the situation that the only way his sister could live was be if he did a transfusion of his blood to the little girl and asked if he would be willing to do it. The little boy thought for a moment, 
became very serious and told the doctor, yes, I will. The day came for the transfusion. They laid them on the table. They hooked up the little boy and the little girl and began the process. And the little girl began to perk up, and suddenly the little boy's face became pale, and he, he, he began to frown. And the doctor said, what's going on? And the little boy said, when will I start dying? See, in his mind, he thought he was literally giving his life so that his little sister could live. And that wasn't the case. But in the case of Jesus Christ, he did give his life. Amen? Amen. Jesus knew to save us, he would have to lose his life. John 15, verse 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. But God did it for the world. Think about that. I might lay down my life for my wife, my cousin Bob and Nancy. I might even, yeah, I'd lay it down for you, Jim. But I'd get up before the train arrived. Okay. But he gave his life for the world. What a sacrifice. But then look, eighth of all, at the preciousness of this greatest love. His only Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Next week is Valentine's Day. Guys, are you listening? Next week is Valentine's Day. Guys, you heard that, right? I just... Fair warning. If you mess up now, it's your fault. You have been warned. Now, what are we going to see on the TV? Commercials about buying her a diamond, right? Yeah, and I know. And my wife's looking at me going, uh-huh, uh-huh, when, when, when? You know, and we've passed Christmas where we talk about all the precious gifts. At Valentine's, you give your wife a diamond. At Christmas, you give her a new Mercedes-Benz, right? That's according to the commercials. But friends, I don't give a diamond ring to a stranger, and I don't give a Mercedes-Benz to just any person that I meet. I don't give my mansion to my worst enemy, but God gave his most precious gift for us. The son he loved from all of eternity, and he gave it to the most undeserving world. Colossians 1.13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. But then ninth of all, look at the inclusiveness of the greatest love. For God so loved the world that whoever, whosoever. Please see that this love of God is not exclusive in its scope. It is inclusive. It is whosoever. God does love, does not discriminate by gender, by age, by skin color, by race or ethnicity, by nationality, by language, by intelligence, by ability, by appearance, by economics, by accomplishments. God says, I so love the world that whoever, whoever, 
John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. God doesn't say, you know, if you clean your life up, I will receive you. He says, whoever, in whatever condition you are. I love that verse in Luke where he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. What is he saying there? He's saying, I've come to rescue those that everybody else has said, they're not worthy of being rescued. And it's for anyone, whether they live in Iran, or China, or Russia, or Brazil, or Australia, or England, or America, or Canada, wherever they may be, whosoever. And then tenth of all, the focus of the greatest love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him the sort the focus of this greatest love is in him where are we gonna find it where's the focus of this love it's in Jesus Christ Muhammad didn't offer that Allah doesn't offer that the God of Islam is a God of judgment they have no concept of a God loving them. It's not in Buddha. It's not in man. It's not in religion. Have you ever seen a religion love you? It's not in money. It's not in fame. It's in, not in relationships. It's only in Jesus Christ that we can experience that love. Paul, the former blasphemer and hater of Christ understood that very well he wrote these words in first Timothy chapter 1 I thank him who has given me strength that is Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service though formerly I was a blasphemer persecutor and insolent opponent but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith, listen to this, and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul understood that focus is in him. But then look, the 11th of all, at the intent of the greatest love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. I know most of us here today are believers. We probably read our Bible. But just in case you've forgotten it, let me remind you that this present world that we invest so much in and do so much in and purchase so much of, it's under judgment. Right? This present world is under judgment. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. We're all under the sentence of death. We're all under the judgment of death. But more seriously is the fact that we're destined for eternal damnation, judgment, separation from God. Look over at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you would. Go over there with me. Keep your finger here. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 says this, This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since God indeed considers it just to repay with affliction those who inflict you. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Look at verse 8. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all those who have believed because our testimony to you was belief. What does Paul say? He says Jesus is coming and when he comes the second time he's coming as judge. And those that don't know him are going to be condemned to eternal damnation and separation from God. Now immediately people will say, those outside, what a cruel God. What a cruel God. They've got it all questioned. No, what a hard-hearted and stupid people. Amen? Not a cruel God, because God loves us. Listen to what he says in first, second Peter, excuse me, second Peter 3:19. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some counsel on us, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God wants you not to perish. God doesn't wish to judge and send people to hell. He gave his greatest gift of his son to pay in full the sin debt so that people don't have to perish. Look down at verse 17, John chapter 3, where we were. He says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now listen to what I'm going to say. God doesn't condemn people to hell. People condemn themselves to hell. I'm not getting a lot of amens out of this. God doesn't condemn people to hell. People condemn themselves to hell. Hell is our choice, not God's. Well, why can't God just love everybody and just send everybody here? Well, what would you think of a judge that said, I will not sentence that child molester to prison because I'm a loving judge? What would we think of a judge that allowed a serial killer to be released because he says, I'm a loving judge and I don't want them to be punished? God punishes because he is a loving judge. But his desire is that we not perish. Please hear that. It is your choice. It is your decision. But then look, twelfth of all, at the impact of the greatest love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish. But, but, everything will change. Everything will change. Because of this love, everything will change. 
We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among the sons of disobedience. Among them we all once lived in the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, raised us up and seated us with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. But it, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're watching that intense thriller. Or let's go back to the old Bullwinkle and Rocky. You remember that? And they used to have what was the name of the Canadian Mountie that was always on the show. I can't remember his name. And the girl would be tied to the track by the dastardly evil villain. And she's screaming as the train approaches. And you think she's going to be struck, but he suddenly appears and rescues her from the tracks. We were destined for an eternal hell, but God loved. And then the certainty of the greatest love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have. Have. This love is certain. We have it. It's not a wish. It's not a dream. It's not a promise. It is ours. I like to sometimes read out of the message translation just because I like the way Eugene Peterson sometimes just puts it together. Marley, you've read him. I, I have him paralleled as I'm reading mine because I just, man, I don't need to read a commentary when I read Eugene Peterson. But in the message translation, in that great verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through 39, I'm com I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. Nothing. I like that. Nothing can get between us and God. Time can get between you and the one you love. Death can get between you and the one you love. Sickness can get between you and the one you love. But nothing can get between us and the love that God has for us. We have. And then the promise of the greatest love, eternal life. Wow. Here's the promise of it all. We have eternal life. Not a diamond ring. Not a Mercedes Benz. Not a, a mansion over the hilltop. God says, I give you eternal life. Now, when we think of eternal life... Immediately, our thoughts are towards longevity. It's eternal. It's life. We're going to live forever. But that's not what the scriptures really mean. Yes, there is the eternal dimension of it. There is a time dimension to it. But that's not what it's really talking about. Take your Bibles and turn a little further over to John 17, verse 3. It is two things. First of all, it is a promise to know him forever. John 17, verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they what? Read it with me. This is eternal life, that they what? 
Say it with me. This is eternal life that they what? No. It's not this is eternal life that you get to live forever and ever 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 and ever. It's that you get to know him forever. God's not interested in a dimension of time. He's interested in a relationship with us. To, to, to know him forever and ever. You say, what is that going to be like? I don't know. But, but I just want you to know, I've been married 37 years, and Cindy still surprises me. I find out new things about her all the time. And you're talking about this immense God? But then I want you to see it also as a promise that we will be loved by him forever. He says in Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. None of this temporary stuff. None of this Britney Spears get married one week, get divorced the next, get married one year and be gone the next. None of this temporary stuff. You know, I... I get so, you know, you, you see these stars. Oh, I'm so in love with this person. I'm going, let's see where they are next year. But God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And he's going to spend the rest of eternity loving us. And we're getting to know him. But I want to close by going back to something we skipped over. And that is the demand of the greatest love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whoever what? Believes. I want to return to this key word that I skipped. Because it is the demand of this greatest love. To experience this love there is a demand. And it is you must believe. It is offered, but it is not automatic. It is available, but it is not coerced. You have to receive it. Imagine it's Christmas morning at your home. We're visiting around the tree with Greg and Marla Cooper. I'm going to pick on you, Pastor Greg, not Jim this time. And, and Pastor Jim says to Marla, Marla, I have a beautiful gift under that tree from you. It is the most precious gift I have ever given to you, the most expensive gift I have ever given to you, and it's yours. Pastor Greg fully expects that Marla's going to get up as she gets out of her chair and shuffles over in the direction of the tree that she's going to go and grab that gift. But instead, she passes on and goes right on into the kitchen and gets busy about her day. Pastor Greg thinks, well, okay, she just had some other things she's going to do. But at the end of the day, the gift is still sitting there. At the end of the week, the gift is still sitting there. The tree is put down, and the gift is still sitting in the corner. A year from later, the gift is still sitting there. Ten years later, the gift is still sitting there. 
it was always there. She just never received it. God doesn't love me. The gift is there. Why haven't you received it? God's not a God of love. The gift is right there. Why don't you receive it? God can't be a loving God allowing me to go through what I'm going through right now. There's the gift. Why don't you receive it? If God was a loving God, there wouldn't be any death. There's the gift. But you have to receive it. And believing is reaching out to receive what is offered. Look down at John 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God is upon him. The message says it this way, John 3, 36. That is why whoever accepts and trusts the Son gets in on everything, life complete and forever. And that is also why the person who avoids and distrusts the Son is in the dark and doesn't see life. All he experiences of God is darkness and an angry darkness at that. The reason why you're not experiencing the love of God is not because God is not a loving God, not because he's an angry God. It's because he's given you it and you won't receive it. Can I get an amen? amen? But how many of you today have received that gift? Isn't that great? But I'm here to tell you, my friend, if you're listening today or watching on Facebook or you're in this auditorium and you haven't received it, why not today? Quit passing by the tree where the gift is sitting there and doing your own thing. Instead, be like what Marla would really be. She would jump out of that chair and run to that gift and grab it up and tear it open faster than, than a tick will jump off of a hound with spray on them. I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about. She's going to be in it. Why not be that way today? You say, well, I'm, I'm just not sure. I can see Marla standing there going, well, I'm just not sure, Greg. I really want to open it up. What if there's a bomb in there? You have said some pretty mean things to me lately. Or, or, or what if I'm going to be disappointed by it? I'm all excited about it, but, but if I open it up, then I'm going to find out what it really is. And, 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 and what, if it, what if it's a, a coupon to buy a new spatula to cook me breakfast? I, I mean, what if? Or, or, or what if it's something that's going to demand something of me? Oh, my. I don't know. Marla's going to do is rip that thing open. Let's rip it open today. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer.